If you will, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to read from Exodus 4 for our guests with us. We've been working through the book of Exodus. We're still finishing up the last bit of the portion where God has appeared to Moses at the burning bush, giving Moses his calling and his instructions about how he's going to go forth and lead the people of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, and into the promised land that he had made and had promised to them 400 years prior to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here we have Moses, who's not quite feeling up to the task, similar to how many of us feel. So I want us to listen to Moses' words and hear what God has to tell to Moses. So starting in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Y'all can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and as we read of Moses and his doubt, Lord Moses and his fear, Lord, we are just as he was, Lord faced with, Lord, your sovereignty, Lord, your holiness, Lord, the divine calling is not something we can ignore, yet, Lord, we often try to make excuses, Lord, we try to find a way out, but, Lord, you have prepared a way, and, Lord, what you have called for us to do is not to perform Lord, but to have faith in you and to obey. Lord, as we look at Moses and his calling to ministry, Lord, may we find encouragement. Lord, even as we see, Lord, his fear, may we recognize our own. But Lord, as we see your sovereign provision, Lord, as we see your calling and your promise keeping, Lord, may we be challenged, may we be encouraged and empowered just as Moses would be for the mission that you have called him and the mission that you have called us. Lord, may we see that they are one and the same, to make known your glory, your promises, Lord, to save, to redeem, and to make a people your own, free from bondage to slavery, whether that be slavery to, Lord, a powers of this world, but, Lord, specifically slavery to sin. Lord, may we see Lord, what you have in store, and may we find hope and strength 
in your plan of redemption. Lord, we pray all this in the name of the one through whom you have accomplished redemption, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we have Moses here, and it's kind of a little bit of the same of what we've seen over the last couple weeks. Moses keeps saying, well, what about this? What about this? God has called him to go and lead the people of Israel, and all Moses can do is, like I know I have the tendency to do, and I know some of you have the tendency to do, is pick apart, pick apart all the different problems and the different potential ways that this plan is going to fail because we often, so often, love to nitpick God's plans because we think that we know better. But what we have to see here is what Moses is really doing is he's placed his trust in himself, even if he doesn't have a high view of himself, He's placed his trust in himself. His place, he's placed his trust in his knowledge of the world and how things function. And he's not placed his trust in God. And what I want us to see as we look at this text is that our unwillingness to serve or obey, just as we look at Moses and his unwillingness to serve or obey the clear commands of God, and God is there before him in the burning bush demonstrating his power. And Moses still has the, the gall to ignore the clear command and question it. But we, we can stand there condemned, but if we look at ourselves, we have God revealed before us in the Word, yet we still look at it and we say, you know what, that just sounds too hard. That sounds too difficult. And I'm just as guilty of this as all of you here. We're all guilty of hearing the clear commands of God and either ignoring them or making an excuse to say, well, this, this doesn't apply where I'm not the right person. We say like Moses, find someone else, please. But God, thankfully, is always at work to make us ever more dependent upon Him. He's always at work to make us dependent upon Him. If, if it's in the midst of trial or if it's in the midst of blessing, our heart needs to ask the question, how am I trusting God in this moment, not things of the world? If things are going good, we may say, man, look at what I've been able to accomplish. Look, look, this plan works. I'm succeeding in the world. I look like success in the world. Or it could be that you are in the worst the throes of despondence. You don't know what to do. You feel oppressed on every side. You've met failure again, uh, and another failure again and again. The answer, the question you've got to ask yourself, am I trusting God in this moment? Moses, in this moment, is not trusting God. So, Like I said, I need to hear this as much, if not more, than any of you, but what we see is that God is patient above all else. God is so patient with Moses. But like Moses, we should not presume upon it. God gives us the example of Moses not to say, look, here's this example, be like him, because if we're like him, man, we're going to fail miserably. 
and we can't hope to be successful in the ways Moses is, is successful because he's teaching Moses not just saying, look, don't do this, do this. He's saying, look, depend upon me. Look at what I have promised. Look at what I am going to provide. See, Moses has doubt. And what the first point that I have for us this morning is that doubt leads to obstinance. So Moses' doubt, it starts there in verse 10. He says, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. He's saying, look, I'm not eloquent, I'm not a great speaker, and it hasn't changed since you started talking to me ten minutes ago. So that wasn't just a a direct deferment. And some would say, oh, Moses is just being polite. He's trying to humbly not take on this role. No, Moses is questioning. He throws it out there it's not changed in the last few minutes so he's he's questioning God's ability to make him the voice the leader that he needs to be he says I'm slow of speech and of tongue he's saying look I got a stutter I, I don't really talk all that well I can't be the leader to persuade Pharaoh and persuade the elders of Israel you no know, hundreds of thousands of people to follow me how could I ever do that? See, Moses, as we've seen already, his problem is trusting in himself. But see, he's got a low view of himself. But the solution isn't to just have a low view of yourself. See, humility that has a, is not just having a low view of yourself. It's having a proper view of God. Moses' problem is, isn't just the low view of himself. He has a low view of God. He says, look, I'm not prepared. I'm not capable. I don't have the qualities that are necessary for this job. As if God needs Moses to tell him what's necessary for the job at hand. So what does God say to him? Verses 11 through 12. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God says, What are you even talking about? How do you think you can talk in the first place? God rebukes Job by saying, Look, who are you to question me? I mean, He does the same as he does Job, he does for Moses. In Job, he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. So when he talks to Moses, Moses is saying, look, I'm not prepared. I don't have the qualities that are necessary for this. And God says, who do you think gave you what you have to begin with? If I can give you that, I can use you how I declare I'm going to use you. So what God is doing here is removing the avenue for any of us to say, well, I don't have what it takes. I'm not prepared. He's removing any excuse that we make to say, if God's given me a clear command, I can come up with a reason to say I don't have to follow it. Now that's scary. That's condemning. And you think even what's crazy we think okay maybe Moses will turn around but in this instance God says that and he says go 
Now therefore go and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But what does Moses say? His doubt has hardened his heart to the point where he says, Oh Lord, please find someone else. Moses, this is not a positive picture of all. But Moses, as we know, is someone who we're called to look forward to. But see, God has to do a work in his heart. Moses is obstinate. And what we see is obstinate as defined as it's resolved, determined, resolute. But we, when we hear that word, you automatically kind of think obstinate. That's kind of just stubborn. That's being, you know, that's being resolute but in a negative way. And what we see is really that this doubt that Moses has, it's, it's putting faith in the wrong thing. Moses is resolute. He's obstinate in all the wrong ways. He's become more and more sure as he only looks to himself to say, I am not capable. I'm not going to do this. And if we keep looking to ourselves, if I keep looking to myself to be the pastor that I know I need to be, if I keep looking at myself to know how I'm supposed to serve and qualify, I'm going to be a failure. And I'm guilty of doing that. And I know every one of you has that problem. We look at ourselves instead of looking at what God has called us to be, knowing that He is the God who transforms. He is the God who empowers. He's the one who's doing the work in us. And we've got to see this because this obstinance is the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. It's having faith in ourselves, not faith in God. And despite what the world will tell us, it's not about us believing in ourselves and finding strength in ourselves. We are to come to the end of ourselves so that we might be more dependent upon God and what He has promised. Because He has made a promise to give us strength, as just as He told Moses, to be His mouth, to put words in His mouth. To, to, he is going to change the hearts. He is going to lead. But are we trusting in God or are we trusting in ourselves? Moses is afraid because he looks at his present situation, his present ability. He looks at his past failures. We saw where he commits murder in his own attempt to create an uprising against Egypt, and he ends up exiled. Moses has been there for 40 years, exiled, shepherding a flock not his own. But God has been preparing him for the task at hand. Moses is so caught up in himself and in his past failures, he can't see the providence of God in every aspect of his life. We're no different. If we're caught up in our past, if we're caught up in our present circumstance, our present ability, if we don't listen to God, we only keep listening to ourselves. And this is the difference between looking at this passage, and if you looked at it, we just look at it to get some moral lesson. Well, okay, Moses, he wouldn't obey, but God says do this, and now Moses obeys. No, that's not the point. And if we depend on that, if we just see, okay, you weren't obeying, now obey, and everything will be fine. That's not the key. The key is we can't obey until we see the God 
who is in control. If we don't see our sin and turn and trust in God instead of ourselves, that's what repentance and faith does. When we repent, we're denying, look, I have been trying to do things on my own. I have been trying to go and do, get, accomplish this in my own power and will, and I've made a mess of myself. This is sin, but I'm trusting in God now to obey His commands and to live as He has commanded us to live. So Moses is brought to the end of himself, and God uses this to then demonstrate His grace and His patience and the power of that he gives to serve. And this is what we see in this second, second point here, this providential provision. God is angry at Moses. We read in verse 14, God's anger is kindled against Moses. This is God's wrath against Moses, who deserves at this point, what? He deserves condemnation. He has just defied God before him, before his face. He said, look, you aren't capable of making me because you haven't changed me in the last ten minutes. I can't, couldn't speak before. I can't speak now. And he says, when God says, look, I'll provide for you, Moses says, find someone else, please. Moses is in a terrible position here because he is rebelling against the command of God before God. And God's anger is kindled against him. But here we see God is righteously angry with Moses, but God shows grace. We all stand in judgment before God because of our sin, but God shows grace in His providential provision. Now, think about what God does here. God gives Moses another sign. God had prepared, we looked last week at the three signs that God gives Moses with the staff. He, said, he has a staff, it turns into a snake, and he says, he says, grab the snake by the tail, and he shows, look, you don't have to fear worldly powers. He is, makes, shows him how he can stick his hand inside his cloak and bring it out, it'll be leprosy, leprous, and then he sticks it back in and the leprosy is gone. And he says, you're going to turn the water of the Nile River the centerpiece of Egyptian theology and power, the, the life for this entire empire, and you're going to show that I have the power to turn it into blood and to make it useless and to bring death and destruction upon what they think gives them life. Those were all signs, miracles, that pointed to the power of God. And here, Moses, despite seeing all of these things, stands before God and says, but I'm not good enough. And God says, look, stop listening to yourself and see how I'm going to provide. And He does this. And I think sometimes we don't think about the miracle that's happening right here. He says, is there not Aaron, your brother? Aaron, your brother, the Levite. Now Moses has been in Midian for 40 years. His brother Aaron, we know, thanks to further on in Exodus, is three years older than him. Moses is likely not seen or heard from his brother in four decades. And God in the midst, Moses has taken on a whole entire new life in Midian, shepherding for his father Jethro. He's got a new wife, a Midianite wife. Moses has left his heritage, left his background, but he's been called to this enormous task 
and he's trying to get out of it. He's saying, I'm not ready, I'm not prepared. And then God's anger before him, God reveals his providential plan to give Moses hope to realize that God can do the impossible by saying, look, your brother Aaron, he is coming out to meet you. God says, look, I've already had this plan in place. Your brother, who's been separated you from, for 40 years, he's on his way out here. So if you want a sign of how I am in control and you need to stop making excuses and listen to me, to look at how I am providing for you. Your brother, he's on the way. You think no one's going to listen to you in Israel. Your brother's on the way because he knows. I've spoken to him. He's on his way and he is coming to help you with the task at hand. See, this is the greatest sign that God has given Moses in this entire discourse. It's the arrival of his brother. Because God says, look, even if you don't believe all that I've already showed you, know this plan is in motion. And I'm providing a way for you. With this sign, Moses has no reason to doubt the sovereign power of God the providential provision of God, or the loving, patient, benevolent character of God. Because God sends His brother. God sends help. God has prepared a way for Moses to have help, to step into the task at hand. And what He's saying to Moses not only is, be encouraged, know this, But he's also saying to Moses, because you failed to believe and act immediately and obey, I'm revealing to you what I'm going to do, but imagine the joy you would have had if you had gone along the way and you saw your brother and he says, Moses, let's go! Moses questions the providence, the sovereignty of God, and God says, okay, well here's, here's a hint. This is a gracious benevolent picture of something that's already in the works. Now will you go? This was a a sign, but it's a promise. And it's a promise that points to the greater work that God was going to do. First, it's Moses' brother, and God shows, look, I'm the one that's going to change the hearts. You don't have to depend on yourself. If I can bring your brother along, I can surely change the hearts of the elders of Israel. I can prepare the hearts of the Egyptians to let your people go. Because God says, look, you're not depending on yourself. You're depending on me. A.W. Pink summarized this. He says, what an illustration it is then when God works He works at both ends of the line. God is bringing about His purposes. Even though we don't see them, we don't understand them, God is already at work over here. What He's calling for us to do is to trust Him and to step into the things that He's commanded us to do. And God does not command us to do things that He will not provide for. He doesn't command us to do things that He is not providentially at work 
to bring about His purposes. But how often do we find ourselves like Moses saying, I'm not capable, I'm not ready. When the commands are clearly in front of us. I fell in this constantly. I get bogged down by what others think, what the world says. I get bogged down in my failures because there's many. But when we read this text, I hope you, like me, I'm challenged and encouraged. I'm challenged because I realize just how much I depend on myself. But I'm encouraged to look and see, look at what God, He's been at work. He's at work when we don't see. He's providing a way. But what He's calling for us to do is step into, by faith, the task that He set before us. But we've got to realize that we can't do it on our own. We've got to realize our problem. You know, this looking at God's providential provision here makes me think of the faithful prayers of George Mueller. He's a great saint who in Britain opened up children's homes for many years. He was able to provide housing and education for thousands upon thousands of orphans and homeless children. And he did it all through prayer and faithful obedience. He didn't know how he was going to provide, but again and again as he prayed for needs, as they needed money or they needed food, it would show up on their doorstep. And he continued to act in faith and God provided for him for the task that he knew God had called him to. And we may have to check ourselves and think, in this instance, not all of us are given as clear of an insight into a specific ministry such as George Mueller. You may not be called to have a children's home, but you are definitely called in some areas to witness to your co-workers, to witness to your family, to love on your neighbor, and to love one another. Now those are clear commands from God and we've got no excuse not to obey them. And as we look at what God has done here in Exodus with Moses, we see that His providence, as we see it revealed in Scripture, as we see it revealed in our own lives, it is evidence that's meant to empower us to step out in faith and obey the commands that He gives us. It's meant to give us assurance confidence and hope and all this for what I love the picture that's given to us in verses 15 through 17 because we see a hint of the great commission and we see the instructions for us that God gives us What we end up doing sometimes is we see the challenge ahead and we say, this is way too big for me. We're like Moses. We say, how am I supposed to free them from Pharaoh, get them across the the wilderness of Sinai, get them to the promised land and defeat all of the nations that are there that are so powerful? How can I do any of that? And because he sees the task at hand, it's too big for him, he says, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to back off. I'm not going to do anything. Lord, find someone else, please. Some of us see the task at hand. You see, we're supposed to love our neighbor. 
We're supposed to share the gospel with them. We're supposed to reach the entire world. And that's just too much. It's overwhelming. And like Moses, we say, Lord, could you find somebody else? What God shows Moses in verses 15 through 17 as he's providentially provided his brother to say, look, your brother's on the way. He's going to help. Know that he's already on the way, as in I've already had him prepared his heart. He's been on the way to come and see you, and you are going to have him. But God gives him some instructions on what this looks like, looks like. Moses is being called to disciple Aaron to prepare him for the task so that they together can go and do what God has said. Verses 15 through 17, he says, You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. He says, look, you go put the words in his mouth. You tell him everything that you have been told already, and then together I will teach you both. I will use you both. Now look at the parallel from this section of Exodus as God commissions Moses and look at how Christ commissions His disciples. Moses is told by God, look, who created your mouth? Who enabled you to speak? Who has the authority to create and to enable and empower? And what does Christ do with the disciples in Matthew 28? He says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Interesting, Jesus is on a mountain commissioning His disciples just like God is meeting Moses on Mount Horeb commissioning Him to go reach the world. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and He says to them, this is important. In verse 18 of Matthew 28, He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. So what is Jesus saying to the disciples? Look, you saw me. I was dead. I've risen again. I'm God in the flesh. All authority has been given to me to create, to renew, to give life, to condemn, to just, justify. It's all been given to Christ. And he says, based on that authority, because I am God in the flesh, he says, now go, therefore. What did God tell Moses? He said, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. I'm the one that's created you to begin with. Go, therefore. Jesus says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. I have all authority and I am with you always. What did God tell Moses? He says, I will be with your mouth. I will be with you. What's true for Moses is true for us. God has given us a large commission and it's way too big for us. 
But He's providentially provided for us to carry out His commands. You know how He's done that? He's done that through your fellow believers. Your fellow believers whom He has called and has brought together in the church. He has prepared beforehand the works for you to step into. He's at work. And He's calling for us to step into that work faithfully. God is patient to teach and to provide for us. We should be thankful for this, but again, we can't be presumptive. He's called for us to step into the works that He's prepared. He has provided already the means for us to disciple and to proclaim the good news to the world. Our failure to make disciples is a failure to trust God. Our failure to love one another is a failure to trust God. Our failure to obey the commands of Scripture is a failure to trust God. So let's stop trusting in ourselves. Let's stop trusting in this world. Let's stop believing the lies that we have coming at us from all angles and let's look to what God has said. What has God said about us? What has God said about the commission that He's given us? What has God said about who we are and what He's done to make us His own? Let's look to those truths, not this world. Let's trust in the One who's proven Himself capable and powerful and loving and righteous. So what does this look like practically? I want to look at three, three quick things. The first, and this comes from Charles Simeon, who's really been helping me this week to process this and think through this. So the first point is beware of self-deception. Beware of self-deception. As we're called and given this great commission, we are like Moses. We look in at ourselves and we see our failure. And that can be a good thing as long as it brings us to an end of ourselves and helps us to see who God is. But we're going to be constantly told to keep looking at ourselves or comparing ourselves to others. Or to look and to trust our own hearts. But we've got to understand, just like we read in Jeremiah 17, our hearts are deceptive. Beware the self-deception that comes in our hearts. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. If we want to be fruitful, we've got to have a right understanding of our hearts and say, okay, I'm not going to listen to my heart. I'm going to listen to what God has said. Don't be deceived. The world will try to deceive you. It'll give you all this information about who you're supposed to be, what you should do. It'll say, no, you've got to feel good about yourself. No, the only way we'll feel good, have confidence, is when our confidence is not in ourselves, but is in our Creator, in our Redeemer. We will get easily discouraged if we only look to ourselves or the world. But when we look to God for perspective, 
when we look to God for strength, the task at hand, it's reachable because we know He is the one who's going to give us strength. He is the one who's going to provide. And what is that task? This is the second point. Know your duties in God's calling. Now, you can't know what God has commanded you to do if you don't listen to Him in the first place. Now, God isn't appearing to us through burning bushes. He's appeared to us through His Son. He's given us the commands, what it looks like to trust in Him, to follow Him. So we're to look to Christ and look to how He has taught His disciples. And remember, what did He tell the disciples? Go, therefore, make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. You know, one of the easiest ways for us to look at the commands that Christ has given us is to look at the one another's of the New Testament. So I want to tell you, if you got your bulletin today, I want you to open up the bulletin. There's an insert in there. And it's got a two-sided sheet on it. It says the one another's, one another passages in Scripture. Now there's 74 passages, but they're summed up into what the commands are of to do this to one another. Now we're not going to go through all of these tonight, today, but I want you to look at this. Take this home. If you want to know a command that God has given you, remember, God has providentially provided for us our errands, our brothers, our sisters. They're in the people in the pew next to you. Look to your right. Look to your left. The common thing. Look, those are the people whom God has commanded you to do these things to. God has given you these commands, and these aren't moralistic commands. This is us being The people of God, obeying God because He's invited us into something much greater. He says, love one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another. It goes on and on and on. Here are the clear commands of God. This is the means by which He will build up His church. Know your duties. Don't be deceived by what the world says you should look like, by what the world says is okay, but look to God's commands. And here's the thing, we can look at these commands and we look at those and we say, how in the world am I to do all of this to all of you the right way, the perfect way, and we're not going to. But that doesn't take anything away from the fact that we're supposed to. This should drive us to the point we look at this and we'll be like Moses we'll say Lord find somebody else find somebody else to help me live in harmony with find somebody else to help me be patient with find somebody else to help me be accountable to find me somebody else to forgive be nice but we wouldn't get to see the work of God God is calling us because he desires what is best for us what is best for us is to see we are not capable of doing this on our own but when we step forward in faith we say okay God I know I can't do this forgive me where I've failed but you have commanded me to do this. I will do this because you have shown me your love and your grace. God has been patient.
towards us. How's God been patient towards us? Because He could have wiped us out. His anger is righteously kindled against all of us. But God has provided a way. Moses pointed towards the one whom, through whom God would provide a way. We've looked at it before, but you reread in Luke, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, he tells Elijah and Moses, who appear on the Mount with him, about his exodus, which he is about to fulfill. He said, I'm about to take on my exodus, where he's going to lead many who are broken, who are downtrodden, who are stuck and in bondage to sin. He's going to lead them out of slavery and into new life. He is the means by which we will be led out of bondage. And these are the commands by which we are to live once we have trusted Him as our Savior. These are the commands by which we can know life and know God, know His character. So don't be deceived. Know what God has called you to do. And don't give in to discouragement. Don't give in to discouragement. 2 Corinthians 12.9 tells us, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what this passage tells me about these one another's and the clear command from God? God knows that the task is something that we are not up to snuff for. But He's calling for us to recognize that to accomplish the task, we're going to have to depend on Him. And that's a beautiful thing because in doing so, we recognize our failure, but we see the sweet love and the providential provision for God through, for us through His Son. And you can see that just as God has called your brothers and your sisters who are sitting in the pew next to you, he's saying, look, teach them my words. Love them. Show them my ways. And together, you, the church, as you love one another, serve one another, teach one another, forgive one another, you together will be, we together will be the mouthpieces of this good news to a lost world. But church, we've got to recognize, we've got to recognize we can't do this on our own. But Paul says, His grace is sufficient for you. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. When we recognize our inability, but trust in God still the same, God's power is made known through us and to the world. Don't give in to discouragement. We can see this great commission that's given to us. And I hope you can see the parallels between what Moses is commanded to do and what the disciples are commanded to do, and therefore us as well. It's trusting that God is in control, that Christ has all authority, that He has the power to forgive and redeem, and He also has the power to equip and send. Now are we going to trust Him for that? For unbelievers here, if you don't know 
the promise of Christ that he has come to redeem, to rescue you from all this rebellion because you see what Moses has done is what a belief, unbeliever unbelief is. It is to reject that God's rule is right. It's to deny God even as he reveals himself. He's made himself known to us. If you see this truth, know that there's hope for you. Know that God has brought about salvation, but we have to trust in Him to to repent and turn from the world and turn to Him. Look at what He promised Moses and look at how He fulfilled that. Recognize your own guilt of sin just as Moses had to do. Repent and trust in Him. You'll be able to join us, all of us, who once were lost but now have been found. And church, together, as we seek to fulfill these one another's, we get to proclaim the grace and mercy of our Creator who calls us out of slavery, out of bondage, and into new life. The question that I asked us at the beginning, I'll ask you all again. Who are you trusting today? Are you trusting yourself? Are you trusting the world? Or are you trusting God? Our ability to serve, whether it's through VBS this week, whether it's through your work this week, whether it's in your family, our ability will depend on not us, but on our trust in a sovereign God who promises to provide for us with the task at hand. Who are we trusting? I hope that your trust and my trust this week will be in the sovereign God who calls us to serve Him. Let's pray.